after I ate, like most smokers do, I smoked cigarette. And I don't know if it was after I was finished with it or during it. I just remember my head going down and my vision went completely blurry, like double. I saw double vision. I didn't have any pain whatsoever. And I just thought, what in the world is happening to me? He took me to the nearest clinic and helped me in. And the first thing out of the front desk clerk's mouth was, you know, is she okay? Has she been drinking this morning? And I laughed. I was like, no, I haven't been drinking. It was only seven or eight o'clock in the morning at this point. So they took me back and started testing me for non-headache migraine. They said, okay, something serious is going on. We need to get her to a bigger hospital. So they airlifted me from this little clinic in East Georgia to St. Joseph's Hospital in Atlanta, Georgia. They still were thinking because of my age and my overall health that I was having a migraine. And for whatever reason, it was a non-headache migraine and I was just having severe symptoms. They ended up giving me an MRI running more tests, every test in the book you can think of. By the time they finally classified it as a stroke, they had missed the three to four hour window where a patient that's having a stroke can get this medicine called TPA, which is tissue plasminogen activator that's supposed to dissolve the clot. They had missed that window. So unfortunately, it did cause a stroke. Hello, I'm Mark Goodyear. This is Stroke Stories, the podcast that seeks out and hears from stroke survivors. A tissue plasminogen activator, otherwise known as a TPA, is a drug that can dissolve a blood clot. It's most effective when administered within four and a half hours of stroke symptoms first occurring. In this episode, we hear from Katie Taylor from St. Petersburg, Florida, who suffered a stroke at the age of 25. Well, before my stroke, I come from a uh, military background. So growing up, my dad was in the Air Force. Growing up, we moved around a lot. Every three years of my adolescent life, we were moving somewhere new, all in the United States, thank goodness. So we didn't have to try to move overseas while I was a kid. Um, I was always athletic as a kid, always played sports, was always in shape, always ate really well. After I graduated high school, I spent one year of college, also played sports, pretty healthy. I moved back to San Antonio, Texas after college and got a job. Events in my life took me to Georgia. That's where my parents were living. And so I was living in Atlanta, Georgia. I had a full-time job as a manager at a Chick-fil-A. The days and weeks leading up to it, I felt totally fine. I didn't have any kind of idea that anything was wrong with me. My ex-husband and I had a day off of work. It was a Sunday. It was August 9th, 2009. As I said before, I was 25 years old. And we had some hunting ground that we had leased. And he woke me up super early to go get some of our grounds ready for the upcoming hunting season. I remember being ticked. I was like, I worked late last night. I don't want to get up this early. It was like six in the morning. And he said, don't worry, I'll take you through Starbucks. I'll get you some breakfast. You don't have to drive. I usually always drove. But he said that he would drive this morning. And so I said, fine. So we got in the truck and we left. He got me a Starbucks. We had breakfast. 
at the time, the only risk factor that I had was I smoked cigarettes. And so after I ate, like most smokers do, I smoked cigarette. And I don't know if it was after I was finished with it or during it. I just remember my head going down and my vision went completely blurry, like double. I saw double vision. I didn't have any pain whatsoever. And I just thought, what in the world is happening to me? He said, I don't know. He couldn't really look at me. So we were almost to the hunting ground at this point. And once we got there, he had to help me out of the truck because I was really dizzy. And once I, he got me to stand up and he looked at my face, he said, oh, my God, you're having a stroke. And I remember laughing. I was like, there's no way. I'm 25. How could I be having a stroke? And I didn't understand why I couldn't get my eyes to go back normal again. I was seeing double of everything. And he said, I'm taking you to the hospital right now. So he took me to a small clinic that was, because we were in the middle of nowhere, east of Atlanta, Georgia. He took me to the nearest clinic and helped me in. And the first thing out of the front desk clerk's mouth was, you know, is she okay? Has she been drinking this morning? And I laughed. I was like, no, I haven't been drinking. It was only seven or eight o'clock in the morning at this point. So they took me back and started testing me for non-headache migraine because I had suffered pretty regularly of migraines in my life once, sometimes twice a month up until this point. Asked all the question, is she on drugs? Is she drinking? You know, how's this? How's that? Everything was no, no, no. She's perfectly healthy. And so they decided to put me in to do a CT scan of my brain. And this is where I lost consciousness. And I don't, I don't remember everything that I'm going to tell you from this point is what was told to me because I don't remember it. They put me in the CAT scan and I postured. And that's when they realized they still at this point did not say, okay, she's definitely having a stroke. They said, okay, something serious is going on. We need to get her to a bigger hospital. So they airlifted me from this little clinic in East Georgia to St. Joseph's Hospital in Atlanta, Georgia. They still were thinking because of my age and my overall health that I was having a migraine. And for whatever reason, it was a non-headache migraine and I was just having severe symptoms. They ended up giving me an MRI, running more tests, every test in the book you can think of. By the time they finally classified it as a stroke, they had missed the three to four hour window where a patient that's having a stroke can get this medicine called TPA which is tissue plasminogen activator that's supposed to dissolve the clot, they had missed that window. So unfortunately, it did cause a stroke. After running more and more tests, they realized that I had an extra artery in my brain called the Percheron artery. This artery is only in 7 to 11% of the population. I don't know if that's worldwide or just nationwide. 7 to 11% has this, this artery. It's branched off of the thalamus. The unique thing about this artery is when strokes happen and kill this artery, it makes the stroke bilateral. So both sides of my brain was affected. So I ended up spending about four or five days in the hospital up there, I consciously lost memory-wise 
about two days of that process that I don't even remember. There's things that my mom has told me about while I was in the hospital. From what I remember when I finally, in my mind, came to was, of course, I was very, very confused. I didn't know what had happened to me. They asked me all the questions like, do you know what your name is? How old you are? Where you live? They they asked me who, who the president of the United States was. At the time, it was President Obama. I couldn't remember that it was President Obama. I had lost temporarily a couple years. And I thought President Bush was still the president. So I said, George Bush. And they said, no, he was president a few years ago. And I thought about it and thought about it. I was like, oh, yeah, it's President Obama. The weirdest part of right after I had the stroke, when I came to, like I said, in my mind was I could speak fluently, but I didn't have any volume. I couldn't, in in my head, in my mind, I felt like I was screaming, but for everybody to be able to hear me, they had to have their ear right up to my mouth. I could barely speak above a whisper. I didn't have any volume and I don't know, I don't know why. So for the last couple of days that I was in the hospital, they had some sort of speech. I think it was a speech pathologist that came and helped me learn how to get volume out of my mouth and how to swallow. Also, I was having a really hard time swallowing. They had to give me a lot of my medication via IV because I couldn't swallow the pills. I didn't know how to swallow. It was, it was really, really strange that all came back, luckily. So that's what I can remember as far as the event itself. Like I said, part of that that I told you was what my mom and family told me about what I, what I experienced. Katie was helped through her recovery by her family. My mom, first of all, bless, bless her. Her name is Dana. She was absolutely instrumental in my recovery. I'm not sure exactly how long it took me after the stroke to regain my speech. I mean, I think it was several weeks, if almost a full month before I could speak at the volume that I'm talking to you right now. So she was absolutely instrumental in that. My parents at the time lived in Florida um, when I, when I had the stroke and I, I was living in Atlanta. So after, after the stroke, we decided what was best was for me to move down here to Florida to be with my mom. She was a former LPN nurse. And so we just thought that it'd be best for me to be with her as far as my rehabilitation goes. The doctors at the time said they didn't think that it was absolutely necessary for me to have inpatient therapy unless I really wanted to. And I just felt more comfortable with my mom. So I moved down to Florida. My whole recovery process as far as getting relatively back to normal was about eight months to a year. And what I mean by recovery is being comfortable to shower by myself. I mean, I was I was really afraid to be by myself because my balance wasn't good. I did not feel comfortable doing anything on my own. My memory was terrible. I could put something in the microwave to heat myself up something for dinner and forgot that it was in there. You know, 30 minutes would go by and I'd think, man, I'm hungry. I need to heat something up and then go into the kitchen and realize, oh, I already heated something up for myself and I forgot about it. I felt like I needed to be with my mom to help me get better. Um, so after about a year, I finally started driving again. That was a terrifying process, just feeling comfortable driving. And for the, the first few times that I started driving, I didn't drive by myself for a really long time. I only felt comfortable going short distances and with somebody in the car with me. Fast forward probably two or, let's see, this was 2010. 
I want to say that it was probably about 2012 before I finally got another job. I was able to get approved for Social Security Disability, thank goodness. Coming up, Katie, on what doctors thought might have caused her stroke. The only thing that they could figure out that they think possibly happened was that for me playing basketball and volleyball as a kid, I developed a clot in my leg that laid dormant all of those years. And for whatever reason, that day when I was 25, it decided to move. And maintaining a healthy lifestyle. What gives me pretty much confidence that I will never have another stroke is eating healthy, drinking healthy. I don't drink. I quit smoking. I try to stay away from from fried foods. Ever so often I do it. But, you know, things that that are bad for your cholesterol and stuff like that, I don't do. And being as active as you can once you do regain mobility, if that's a part of of the stroke for people that were lost. Let's hear how Katie got back to working after her stroke. Because I was so young and because of the background that I came from, my dad being in the military, me being athletic and active and working as a kid, I just thought I'm too young to live on Social Security and be disabled the rest of my life. So... I ended up getting a part-time job. I went back to Chick-fil-A because that's where I was working before the stroke. And I thought that maybe working in an environment that was familiar to me would help me feel more normal and be able to be part of society again as a normal human being. And so that's what I started doing. I worked at Chick-fil-A for about almost four years. And now what I do is I have a couple part-time jobs, but I'm actually in school through National Academy of Sports Medicine to become a personal trainer. Because of all, all the years that have gone by, I feel like I've made as big of a recovery as I'm going to make. I still struggle a lot with fatigue, with tiredness. If I get less than seven hours of sleep, I feel like a zombie the next day. I get very stressed really easily and upset very easily. It's a lot more manageable now. And the opportunity came up for me now to become a personal trainer, which, as I said, I I come from an athletic background. And I thought, you know, I had to, being an athlete that had a stroke, outside of having the help of my mom, I had to recover on my own. I had to learn how to work out again and lift weights properly and everything by myself. And I'm sure that there's there's people out there that can help athletes that have gone through brain trauma, but I thought it would be awesome for me to try to help other people once they are cleared by their doctors of course to start training again. I can help them kind of navigate through that process because I've been through it, so I can personally empathize with them and give them examples of things that I went through. Doctors are still not certain about what caused Katie's stroke. They actually were never able to decipher and figure out where the clot came from, why it even happened. They tested me for everything, cholesterol levels. I wasn't on birth control. I didn't do drugs. All of the risk factors that people have for strokes, I did not have. The only thing that they could figure out that they think possibly happened was that for me playing basketball and volleyball as a kid, I developed a clot in my leg that laid dormant 
all of those years. And for whatever reason, that day when I was 25, it decided to move. And the uncommon thing about clots that come from your leg, usually they stop in your heart and cause a heart attack. Well, this clot moved through my heart and up to my brain. So all of these things that I've told you about, like the the rareness of my stroke, the not understanding why it happened, the the difficulty that I have explaining it to people that don't understand has just been the biggest headache of my life. And up until today, talking to you right now, um, I've really never shared my story. Um, my family and my closest friends know what happened to me, and I'll mention it sometimes to people, you know, colleagues at work, just to let them know about me. But I've never really discussed it in this detail on a public platform because I was so young and I'm doing so much better now Number one, I was afraid of people not understanding, almost thinking that I'm lying or something to get sympathy. And then I also didn't want that sympathy. I, I didn't want people saying, oh, you've had a stroke. So if this is too hard for you, you don't have to, you know what I mean? I didn't want people to pity me. It's not that I kept it a secret, but I was never really comfortable talking about it. So that's why I really appreciate this opportunity to talk to you now. And um as I said, the older I get, the more and more empathetic I get for other people that have gone through any kind of medical ailment, especially brain trauma. And that's that's why my passion now, like I said, is to become a personal trainer and work with various clients that maybe just want to lose weight. But especially once I really get into it, I really, really want to work with clients that have had previous brain trauma, maybe not just stroke, brain trauma in general to help them get to their best selves athletically and health-wise because I've been there. I, I had to do it. Katie has advice for stroke survivors and their loved ones. My biggest advice probably to a close friend or, or even anybody that has had a stroke, especially if they're younger, is to find somebody in your circle, a family member or a close friend that you know that you can absolutely trust it doesn't even have to be a medical professional, but somebody that can be there for you, be a listening ear, be a crutch, a shoulder to cry on. I, I can tell you I did a lot of crying because I just could not understand what had happened to me and why it happened to me because, as I said, I was so young and healthy. So finding an important support system, I believe, is vital. Going through any kind of stroke, in my mind, it's not possible for somebody to try to recover on their own, either without medical help or professional help or from the help of a friend or loved one. Um, even therapy can help. I, I did therapy for, for a short time to help me navigate what was going on in my brain as far as depression and fatigue. You know, I'm speaking from, as I said, an athletic standpoint, but for me, what helped me feel better and what gives me pretty much confidence that I will never have another stroke is eating healthy, drinking healthy. I don't drink. I quit smoking. I try to stay away from, from fried foods. Ever so often I do it, but you know, things that are, that are bad for your cholesterol and stuff like that, I don't do. And being as active as you can once you do regain mobility, if that's a part of, of the stroke for people that were lost, being as active as you can not only strengthens your body, but it strengthens your mind as well. Definitely, definitely a lot of patience. You know, I got really, really mad at myself because I, for a long time, for about a year and a half and even beyond, 
there was a lot of things that I used to be able to do flawlessly that I couldn't do anymore. It took me a long time, not just to learn how to do those things, but I had to really, really be patient with myself. So patience is a big thing. The neurologist told me that my recovery was was more or less 100% up to me. They said, as long as you are positive in your mind to want to get better, they said, I fully believe that you will get better. You will never be 100% how you were before, but you will get better as long as you are positive about it and patient with yourself. Katie has displayed immense determination to make such impressive recovery, largely by herself, and she hopes to use her experience as a stroke survivor to help others with brain injuries regain their mobility. Thank you very much for listening. If you enjoy Stroke Stories, please tell a friend or two and rate and comment on the episodes you hear to help us spread the word. And if you are or you know a stroke survivor and there's a story you can share, please contact us. Our DMs are always open on Twitter and Instagram. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening. Thank you.